So in part three of our How to Neighbor series, we are talking about embracing orphans, orphans embrace. Next week, as we wrap this series up, we're going to talk about races reconciled. We believe that God uh, is a God of racial reconciliation, that, that we are all one in Christ Jesus, and he's calling us to be one. And so next week, we're going to finish this series strong, talking about racial reconciliation. But we've talked um, uh, last week about loving the lonely. The week before, we talked about uh, empowering the poor. And today we're talking about embracing orphans. And so um, you, I can't promise you where today will go. Uh, today is, there's a lot of different ways that this message will go. I have never been so wrecked emotionally in preparation for a service as I was for this one. I've never had such a hard time putting a sermon together. And I mean a hard time as in figuring out what to say. I just mean the emotional burden of kids who don't have a family. It's a tough thing for me. It's something that cuts right to the heart of, of who I am and who God has made me to be. And so um, I, I don't know how this will look today. This might be a little messy. This might not be real pretty. There might be some hashtag ugly cry at some point in today's service. I'm just going to warn you up front. Um, but, but I believe that God's going to speak. Um, I believe that God's got a call and a purpose for us to love people who don't have a family. Um, and, and I believe that he's going to start something in many of us that, that's going to make a massive Massive difference. So this series, How to Neighbor, we're, we're basing it on a couple of things. But one is the, the great commandment of Jesus. This man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And they said the second is like it. The second is just as important. The second is on the same level. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say love your neighbor. He said love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus is assuming that we love ourselves. Uh, we, we all have a, a love for ourselves. I think any of us, if, if we were to go back in time to the 7 years old or 9 years old or 12 years old or 15 years old and didn't have a family, didn't have a mom and a dad, whether mom and dad were dead in a true definition of orphan or just mom and dad weren't there uh, for whatever reason they couldn't raise you, I think any of us would say, man, I would want a godly family to step in and, and, and to fill that role. I would pray that God would send uh, somebody to fill that for me. And so I believe part of the call to love our neighbor as ourself is to love orphans. Um, I believe this is something that is massively close to the heart of our God. So I told you I did some research and studying for this week and some things that, that I didn't love to find out but I think are important for us to know. First of all, there's approximately 400,000 children in America in foster care. 400,000 children in America who don't have families that they can live with right now. In fact, the current stats are somewhere in the neighborhood of 415,000 and, and, and some change. Almost half a million kids in the United States, far greater than the population of DeSoto County, a very large amount of kids that don't have a home, that are growing up in the foster care system. If we shrink that down a little bit, just hone in on, on the state that where most of us live, I know some of us may live in Mississippi or in Tennessee or Arkansas, but most of us live in Mississippi. In the state of Mississippi right now, there are 7,700 kids in the foster care system. 7,700 kids. It's a lot. Of those 7,700 kids, 1,600 of them need a foster family right now. They are placed in a home. They're placed in a shelter just waiting for a family to come available that they can put that kid in a home. So 7,700 kids in foster care. Uh, 61 of them have foster families who are raising them right now. 1,600 do not looking for a home. 100 kids right now are available for free adoption 
in the state of Mississippi. In other words, their parents have completely relinquished their rights to the foster care system that you can walk in and, and sign the papers, obviously do a background check and whatever. Um, 100 kids waiting for adoption, which honestly I was surprised it was that low. I was pretty encouraged by that. That's, that's good news that it's only 100. But then I made the mistake of researching the 100 and reading some of their stories. And, and my plan was actually to read you and share with you a couple of their stories today. I can't do it. In rehearsal, I'm trying to do this. I couldn't make it through. It, it breaks my heart so much. Every one of these kids has a name, has a face, has a story. 100 of them right now in the state of Mississippi ready to be adopted. And what broke my heart so much wasn't even the specifics of the stories as it was the time that they've been available. Most of these kids have been available for adoption for three to five, even seven years. Just waiting for somebody to say, I'll take you. Most of the, there's like a, a tipping point where kids are no longer as cute and adorable. And when they're no longer as cute and adorable, they don't get adopted. Everybody wants to adopt a newborn. Everybody may be the toddler. But once they get past that toddler phase, if they're in the adoption system, they most of the time don't find a family. And so you can read these stories of these 13-year-olds who've been asking God, asking the state, asking somebody for a family for six, seven years. I just want to belong. I just want to be a part of them. And it'll rip your heart out. And so I can't share you their stories with you today. It's just... I'm not capable. I'm not man enough to do it. I'm sorry. I wish that I was. So what I want to do is this week, I'm going to post one of their stories each day on the City Church Facebook page. Because I think it's important for you to know the face, to know the story, to, to, to know the name. I think all of us, if we knew these things, we'd say, man, what can I do? How can I help? And so I want to put the information out there. I just cannot verbally do it because I'm a wuss. And I'm sorry. I wish that I was stronger. But this is just one thing where I, I just don't have the strength. So... It can be bleak, it can feel insurmountable, it can feel rough. That's the bad news. Let me also give you the good news. As many kids as there are out there without families, there are far, I mean far, more Christian families in the state of Mississippi. I mean, in fact, in the state of Mississippi, there, there are so many, it's not even just Christian families, we actually have more churches in the state of Mississippi than we do kids who need foster care. Check this out. In the state of Mississippi right now, we have 7,718 churches, and we have 7,700 kids in foster care. If every church just said, okay, we're, we're going to foster one kid, we're going to step up, not only would every kid have a foster home, and there wouldn't be 1,600 waiting to find a home, but every kid would have a godly, Christ-centered foster home. Because I don't know how much you're familiar with the system, but there's a lot of people who just foster because there's a little bit of money involved in it. And those kids get abused, neglected, molested. The foster care system can be very, very damaging as well. What if we stepped up? What if the Church of Jesus Christ, and I don't mean just city church, what if the Church of Jesus answered the call and stepped up? What if we made Mississippi the first state that there were no kids that needed a foster home? Because the church said we are willing to respond to the call. Here's what I want us all to see today. Here's what everybody, here's my take-home point, the thing I want you to sear into your brain, what I believe with all my heart. The church is God's plan A to help children who are in need. Government of the United States of America is not God's plan A. Orphanages are not God's plan A. Uh, adoption services are not God's plan A. Foster care system is not plan A. The government of Mississippi is not God's plan A. The government of Soto County is not God's plan A. God's 
plan A is you and me. It's his people that he has called to love those who do not have a family. Let's take a look at the words of James, the brother of Jesus. And then very famously in the very first chapter of his letter in the first century, he says this. He defines the purest form of religion for us. And sometimes we don't like that word religion. So if you want to insert the purest form of relationship with Jesus or the purest form of faith or the purest form of Christianity, you can insert whatever term you want. But this is what James says. The greatest way to love Jesus is this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What's the purest form? In other words, what's closest to the heart of God? It's to look after orphans, to look after widows, and to keep yourself from being polluted from the world. In other words, not, we're not going to mix in. We're not going to get into the sin of the world. We're not going to get into the unrighteousness and the unholiness. We're staying away from that. We're set apart. God's called us to be set apart. We're going to love orphans. We're going to look after widows. Caring for those in need is so, so close to the heart of God. Um, I told you that I wanted to come and tell you some of the stories of kids who need adoption. I can't do that. So what I want to do instead um, is I want to tell you the story of a couple kids who have been adopted because I'm a little more capable there. So if you'll go ahead and throw uh, that first picture up for us, uh, you're going to see this is my son and daughter, the second from the left and on the right, Judah and Alexa, and on the far left is Josie. And the third child is Maggie. Judah and Alexa are not adopted, uh, but Josie, just to clarify, uh, Josie and Maggie are adopted. Um, many of you know they were adopted by Cody Mercedes Rogers. In fact, we have a picture of the whole family. This is Cody in his natural habitat. Um, actually, it's Cody. That's Fall Festival last year. He really doesn't have the Joe Dirt mullet. That was just his, his go-to look for Fall Fest. Um, but that's the four of them, uh, Maggie and Josie, at, at a little younger stage last year at Fall Fest. Um, many of you know their story. Uh, Cody and Mercedes chose to adopt these two girls. In fact, they, they knew both of their moms. The moms were unfit and unable to keep their kids. And they both actually came to Cody and Mercedes knowing that Cody and Mercedes wanted to adopt and said, would you be willing to take my child? Um, and so they were there throughout the pregnancy supporting the moms and, and actually took the girls home uh, straight out of the hospital. And um, they've, they've both uh, come into their home become part of their family. And, and what's amazing is we got to go to the beach with Cody and Mercedes this week. And uh, this is actually where that first picture of the four kids was taken at the little house that, that they had rented. And um, to watch Maggie and Josie, they're happy. They're sweet. Man, they loved on our kids this week. They reached out to Judah, and they're trying to teach Judah how to do cartwheels, and he's not there yet. And, uh, but but they're, they're just like, man, Judah, do this, do this, do this. And they're, they're so sweet and so happy and so excited. And we're convinced, man, that Maggie's got a call on her life. Man, that this girl, that there's something in her from God. And it's amazing to look at these two kids and then to think about where they would be if Cody and Mercedes didn't take them. Knowing the, the situations their moms were coming from and, and the things that they were in and how many kids end up in that foster care system. It could have been them. Those two little girls could have been in the foster care system for years. They could be the kid that, that's been looking for an adopted family for six, seven, eight years. But, but somebody, not just somebody, somebody who loves Jesus said, you know what, we'll take them. They can come live with us. We'll call them our kids. We'll adopt them. We'll bring them in. And that's the, the massive power of adoption. And uh, it's such a, a beautiful, amazing thing. I believe God has called us as a church to care about those who are in need. Um, if you make a list of some of the greatest problems in society, 
uh, which I did. And your list might look a little different, but I think it would probably be fairly similar. But as you go through that list, ask yourself, who is the group that suffers the most because of these problems? Who does this problem affect the most deeply? Uh, in fact, we'll have most of this list on the screen for you. But uh, broken families, we'd all agree, big problem in society. Fatherlessness, big problem in society. Divorce, poverty, substance abuse, incarceration, homelessness, domestic abuse, gang violence, racism, teenage pregnancy, human trafficking. We could go on and on and on down the list. All these massive problems in society, if you ask who suffers the most, the answer is always kids. It's children. Who suffers the most from divorce? It's children. Who suffers the most from poverty? It's children. Who suffers the most? On and on and on down the list from abuse, from violence, from racism, from human trafficking. All of these things, it's kids who suffer the most. They pay the highest price. Perhaps this is why God tells us Christians, his people, in Psalm chapter 82, his plan A, this is what he says to us. He says, defend the weak and the fatherless. Christian, he's writing this to you. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. We talked about the poor a couple weeks ago. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I think all of us, man, we have, if we're Christians, God's Holy Spirit lives inside of us. When we see somebody in need, there's something in us that's affected, right? There's something in us that wants to help. There's something in us that wants to do something. I mean, even if you set aside from, from humanity's problems, we see an animal in need. We want to do something to help the animal, right? Uh, let go, I got another picture for you. This is Roger. Uh, Roger was a little rabbit that was found uh, outside my wife's work. In fact, the same place that sold us the truck. Uh, they had uh, a trailer out back or a truck out back that they had to move, and they moved it. And here's this little baby bunny that they found underneath it. And so the guys bring the bunny inside the office, and they show it to Melody, and they ask Melody, hey, do you want to take this rabbit? And they said, if you don't, it's okay. We'll just kill him. Uh, and so, of course, my wife, this, that was what they said. Those were her options. The baby the rabbit's going to die, or you can take him. Uh, so, so my wife, of course, what, what do you think she did? This is back when we had one car. I told you there was a season. We had one car. I went to pick her up after work, and here she comes with a big old box. And we had just gotten a dog a couple months before this and gotten a cat a couple months before, you know. And we had, at this point, we had two cats and a dog. Uh, and she comes out with the, with the box. I'm like, what's in the box? She got a big smile on her face. And she says, a bunny. She shows me. And so I'm like, I'm like well, if we're going to keep him, we got to name him Roger. Because uh, it's got to be Roger Rabbit, right? And so that's, that's what we did. So, so we bring Roger home. Um, and unfortunately, um, Sonic, our dog, scared Roger one time when I was holding him, and he jumped out of my arms and then ran away, and we never saw Roger again, and uh, Roger's in rabbit heaven somewhere probably by now, um, so we didn't save him for long. We may have saved him for, for a few months, um, but, but we do this, right? Like, you see a dog, you see a cat, maybe you hate cats, maybe cat's a bad example. We see animals, and our heart goes out to them. And they're in need, and that's good. I believe we should. I believe that God placed us, placed Adam in dominion over creation. He said, you're responsible for this. You should take care of it. I'm not saying not, not to reach out to animals. What I am saying is how much more should we reach out to someone created in the image of God with his stamp who's in need, who doesn't have a family. If our heart breaks for a creature that doesn't have a family, our heart should absolutely break for a person who doesn't have a family. Psalm 68 verses 5 and 6 tells us who God is. This is the God that we serve. I love this imagery. It says a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Who is God? God's a defender 
uh, he's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. Who's my God? My God is a father to the fatherless. I love that. But then guess what it goes on to say after that? Then it tells us how he does it. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. How is he a father to the fatherless? How does he defend widows? Next verse says this. He sets the lonely in families. How is God a father to the fatherless? He looks down to that kid who has no family. He says, I'm going to find you a family. And he sets the lonely in families. What a beautiful God that we serve. What an amazing God we serve. I'm glad I serve a God like that. I'm glad I serve a God who cares when somebody's in need. I'm glad I serve a God whose heart breaks when somebody doesn't have a family, who wants to do something. That's the kind of God I want to serve. But here's what we have to ask ourselves. What if he wants to set them in your family and in my family? What if when God says, I'm a father to the fatherless and I'm going to find a family to raise this kid, what if he's talking about you? What if you're the family he has in mind? Because I believe that the church is God's plan A. I believe that God doesn't want any kid ending up in the system. He doesn't want any kid ending up in some random person's house who's going to abuse them, who's going to mess them up, who's going to destroy them or neglect them. That's not God's plan. God's plan is sitting right here in this room. He says, I set the lonely in families. God may be looking down today at a two-year-old whose parents are in prison who has no other option of saying, I want to put this child in your family. He may be looking down at a 14-year-old who's been up for adoption for six years who feels completely ignored and forgotten about and useless. And he may say, I want to put this child in your family, and you're going to nurture them back. You're going to affirm the identity of God in them. You're going to speak life into them. And it may not always be easy. It may not always be quick. But I've got a plan for restoration, and my plan is you, because God picks up the lonely, and he sets them in families. What if God's got his eye on your family today when he wants to set the lonely in families? We talk about this, and it's, it's uncomfortable, right? Like, let's just, we'll just call it what it is. Like, yes, I care, and yes, my heart breaks for people, but I got this going on and this going on, and I don't have time, and I don't have money, and I'm just trying to pay, pay the bills, and I've got so much going on in my life, and, and, and I get that completely. I affirm that. I respect that. I totally, totally understand. But, but before you say I'm not called to foster or I'm not called to adopt, before you just flat out reject the idea, would you just pray about it? Because in my experience, a lot of times the things that we reject the quickest are the things that we are afraid. If I were to pray about this, God would really say I'm supposed to do it. And I'm not going to pray about it because I don't want God to tell me to do it. So I'm just going to think it's not, not going to happen. So if you can pray about it and you can go before the Lord for a couple of weeks and you and your spouse pray about this together and you go before God and you can look each other in the eye at the end of it and say, this isn't for us or this isn't the season for us, then praise God. It's not for everybody. Some of us, maybe we don't even need to pray about it because your life is messed up in such a way you probably would mess the kids up if, if you had them. But, but the majority of us, right, let's just be real. There's somebody in this room that don't need to adopt, right? Like, just call it what it is. But most of us are at a place where we may not have it all together. None of us have it all together. But, but we're at a place where we should at least ask God the question. God, is this for me? God, is this for us? And God may say no. He may say not now. Or he may say go. And if we ask him, we've got to be obedient to whatever the response is. So pray about it. Ask God about it. 
God, would you have us to be involved? My, my wife and I, we have a heart to adopt. In fact, one of the reasons, I don't know about reasons, I think I'd have married her anyway, but one of the things that, that caused me to fall in love with her so much is when we were dating, we started talking about, and I, I had a heart to adopt as long as I can remember. I've always wanted to adopt. And it came up, and she's always wanted to adopt. And it was just so beautiful that God put our hearts together. It was so it just felt like it was meant to be. Like this is what, what's going to happen. And so we, we know that God hasn't given us the green light yet. That season is not here for us. But we know it's coming. Um, and, and it's the stuff that, that we're going to, to make very excitedly. Uh, something that we really look forward to having that opportunity to, to take that step. And I think that, that when you do adopt, when Cody and Mercedes adopted Maggie and Josie, when whatever, whoever takes that step, I think it's very possible you're never more like God than when you adopt. Because that's what God is. God is a God of adoption. It says it all throughout scripture. I'll just give you one example. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. I love how it's phrased in the New Living. It says this. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So not only did God adopt you, not only did God look down and see you in your sin, separated from God, spiritually orphaned, and say, you know what, I want you. I want to bring you into my family. I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to give you the rights uh, of my, as my heir. You're going to have all these things that come with being called by my name. Not only did God look down and say that, but then it says that it gave him great pleasure. God's not just an adopting God, which I've always known. What I discovered this week is God's an adopting God who loves to adopt. He gets excited to adopt. God is thrilled when he adopts a new member in. That is a blessing to him. And I'm so glad that he didn't look at me and say, well, it's going to hurt. He's got a lot of issues, and he's going to make some promises to me that he's not going to follow through with. And, and he's going to have some stuff that I try to work on that he doesn't quite get. And I, I'm just going to leave him in, in his mess. I'm going to find somebody else. I'm so glad that God was willing to say, I want you, even in your mess, even though it's going to hurt, even though there's times you're not going to get it right, I'm bringing you in. That's the heart of our God. And not only did he say, I'll do it anyway, he said, it gives me great pleasure to do it. I'm excited to do it. So I know there's some of us in this room that we talk about something like this, and you're probably like, I could never be a foster parent because it would just break my heart so much when, when the parents came back to get the kid. Whenever this kid you raised for two months or two years or six years, and all of a sudden the parents are right, and the kid goes back into their family. It's, it's just, it would hurt too much. Let, let, let me challenge you with the possibility that if you're the person who says it would hurt too much, you're probably the ideal person to be a foster parent. Because what, what are we saying when we say that? We're saying we want somebody to be a foster parent who it wouldn't hurt for the kid to be taken away. And if that's the person who's the foster parent, that kid's probably not being nurtured probably not being loved on, probably not being looked out for. In fact, I heard uh, one foster family said this. They said, if it doesn't hurt, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's going to hurt. That's just part of it. Uh, but, but a basic life principle, I believe, and you can apply this to, to your finances. You can apply this to your health. You can apply this to your marriage, to your parenting, any aspect of life. But I believe this to the very center of my core is this. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is the amount of pain you're unwilling to endure. That's it. The gap between where I am today and where God wants me is the amount of pain that I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to go through that. That's just going to hurt too much financially for us to do that. That's just going to hurt too much to have that conversation. That's just going to hurt too much to, to get this thing fixed, to deal with this problem, this addiction, whatever it might be. The amount of different distance between where I am 
and where God wants me to be is the amount of pain I'm unwilling to endure. And so what if the fact that you say, no, that would hurt too bad, is actually the indicator that you're the one? What if that was actually the way that God is trying to communicate to you, I want you to do this, and yes, it's going to hurt, Yes, it's going to be painful, but I'm going to see you through it. I'm going to be there with you through it. But I, w- I gave you that heart that breaks for kids who don't have a family for a reason. I put that in you. I designed you that way. And I want you to push through the pain. I can't promise you it won't hurt. I can make you two promises if you foster, if you adopt, if you begin to take these steps. The, the first promise is this. It'll be hard. It'll hurt. It's not going to be easy. I can promise you. It will hurt. Man, raising your own kids hurts, right? Every parent in here can say amen. And so if raising your own kids hurts physically, financially, emotionally, if that hurts, how much more is it going to hurt to to take in somebody that's been mistreated, that's been hurt? Man, they're they're going to need some nurturing. They're going to need some extra time. It's not going to be easy. It's going to hurt. So, yes, it's going to hurt. I promise you that. But number two, I can promise you this. That kid is worth it. That kid is worth it. They're worth it. They're worth the pain. In fact, I've discovered in my own life that many of the, the most worthwhile things in life are the things that are hurt the most to get to. Man, sometimes pain is worth it. In this case, I believe it's absolutely worth it. Now, I understand this. Not everybody can foster and not everybody can adopt. I'm not like saying we, we don't have people sitting out in the, ta- in the lobby with tables, pictures of kids for you to sign up and take a kid home with you today. It's not, not what this is about. All I'm asking you to do is to go home and begin to pray about this. God, how would you have me to respond to your heart for people who don't have families? And for some of us, maybe it is fostering. For some of us, maybe it is adopting. Or maybe it's a future season of that. But I believe for all of us, it's something. So there's some other things that we can do besides being the person to, to foster or adopt. You, you can raise money to help people adopt. If somebody's wanting to adopt overseas or even in the state, it can be extremely expensive. So you can come alongside somebody who, who's trying to take that step and begin to help them, man, do fundraisers, begin to pray with them, uh, be, begin to, to take steps to help them get that money. Um, you can do something I didn't even know existed until this week. It's called respite care. Respite care is where you basically partner with a foster family. You come alongside them and say, okay, you, you guys need some time to breathe. You need some time to, to do other things. So I'll take the foster kids one weekend a month so that, that you can have some time off, so that you can have some time to, to do whatever else it is you need to do, or you can take that business trip or whatever it is. So you come alongside them and, and basically become secondary foster families where you partner with, with a foster family, um, and, and you're there for them in, on whatever that frequency might look like. Um, Come alongside single moms. Now, we got a lot of single moms in this church, and I praise God for our single moms because there's a lot of people who don't have the courage to take that step. Uh, and, and you can come alongside a single mom. Single moms have a lot of needs. Think they've got a lot of things that are difficult for them. You can provide them with transportation to things. You can provide them with babysitting. Now, again, there's probably some of us in the room who don't need to babysit. Uh, so have discernment about who you trust your kids with. Uh, but but you, can, you can offer that. You can make that available. You can become just a father figure. To a kid. Um, it's funny to me because I, when I came to this church back in 05, I came as a youth pastor. I'd been in youth ministry uh, full time from 2001 up until 2012, and we took over the church and still served in the youth ministry pretty regularly after that for quite some time. And, and so when I started in youth ministry, I was the big brother. I mean, you're just like the big brother to me. You're just like the big brother. And then over the last couple of years, you know what I started to hear? 
like a dad to me. I'm getting old is what I'm saying, right? Uh, but, but, but at the same time, what an awesome statement for a young person to be. He's a beautiful father to me. What an amazing role to fill in somebody's life. And every time a kid has said that to me, it's somebody who didn't have a dad involved in their life. Man, get involved in ministry, serving the Sixers too, serving Kid City. Man, there's many things that we can do outside of it. If you say, man, now's not the season, now's not the time for me to adopt or for you to foster, that may legitimately be the case. Doesn't mean there's nothing you can do to be there in the life of kids who don't have a family. Let me, let me just say this. We don't talk a whole lot about politics here at City Church. I think you can pray through the election and who God wants you to vote for. And I'll just tell you straight up, I think both of them are terrible options. So pray hard. Um, if you hear from God, let me know what he said because I'm not sure. Uh, but, but here's what I do believe. And I can say with confidence, we believe here at City Church, we believe in the sanctity of life. We, we believe that, that kids in the womb are kids, that they're people, that they deserve a shot at life just like anybody else. We believe in the sanctity of life, but because we believe in the sanctity of life, we care about all life. One mistake that Christians and, and churches a lot of times make is we'll be so anti-abortion and, man, we need to keep these kids alive. And, and that's 100% true, but then the kid's born and we forget about them. If we're going to be telling moms we need to have that baby, we need to be willing to come alongside a mom who has the courage to have that baby. We need to be willing to love that kid once he or she is beginning to breathe oxygen just as much as we love them when they're in the womb. We care and we believe in the sanctity of life here at City Church. Now, if you've had an abortion, if you've made that decision, we believe in that there's forgiveness. We believe that you serve a God of grace. We don't condemn you or, or reject you. We're thrilled that you're here. And we got people with all kinds of pasts here at City Church. Um, people in all kinds of places in process. So don't feel like, man, that you can't be here because you had an abortion. Please don't think that. But we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe that those kids deserve a chance at life. But we also believe that once they're breathing, we got to be there too. We can't just neglect them once they come out into the rest of the world. So you can be there for, for that pregnant teen girl who's scared to death because of the mistake that she made, who, who didn't plan for that pregnancy who didn't plan to have that. We can support them. We can pray with them. We can come alongside them. We can come alongside the brokenhearted parent who's lost their parental rights and couldn't afford to keep their kid because they, they had some issues, whatever that might be for. There's so many opportunities to minister related to this idea of orphans, related to this idea of kids who don't have family. Um, I think the kids don't just need a family. They need God's family. See, there's a ton of great foster parents and adopted parents out there who are bringing kids into their families who, who don't know Jesus. And I praise God for them because the church is, is falling down on this and we're not doing our job. But I don't think it's God's best. I think it's God's best that when that kid doesn't have a family, that somebody comes alongside them and, and welcomes them into their home who loves Jesus, who can point them to the most important figure in their life, who can say, here's a guy who will be a father to you, even though you are fatherless. I believe this is our responsibility as Christians. Let me say this, every one of us in this room probably has a whole list of things that we can't do. I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do this, and some of those are probably very legitimate. But be careful, don't make the mistake of letting what you can't do keep you from what you can do. Sometimes we can just write something off out of hand, well, I'm not called to adopt, I'm not called to foster, that's it, and we just kind of leave it over here, and that may legitimately be true. You may not be called to adopt. You may not be called to foster, but the things that you can't do right now or the things that God doesn't have for you doesn't mean there aren't other aspects of it. So don't just write it off. Open it up. Ask the question. Pray it through. God, how would you have me to be a part of this? Um, A.L. Williams, the motivational speaker who 
sold insurance. My, my dad used to work for him. He had this quote that I really liked. He said that all you can do is all you can do, but all you can do is enough. All you can do is all you can do, but all you can do is enough. I'm not asking you to do more than you can do. There may be some things that you legitimately can't do in this area. That's fine. But are you doing all you can do? All you can do is enough. But are we doing all that we can do? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Other things you can do, you can, you can pray for people. You can throw a baby shower for somebody who's having an adoption or who's fostering. Um, you can provide meals for people. Uh, you can reach out to caseworkers. Man, these social workers, their caseloads are so high. They're so stressed and under so much pressure, and so many people that they work with hate them and are mad at them all the time. What, what an amazing ministry would it be for a church to reach out to social workers? What greater position for us to have people who have the discernment of the Holy Spirit than social workers? What if we started reaching social workers for Jesus? I'm not saying none of them know Jesus, but what about the lost ones? And so when they walk into a home, they've got the discernment to say, you know what? I don't think we're going to use this home. We're not, we don't need to put a kid here. Something, there's something not right about this place. But also the discernment to say, no, this is the right home. Man, we got to love on these people. we got to show them Christ, provide transportation, diapers, um, all kinds of stuff. You can serve in Kid City. There's so many things we can do to make a difference. Um, investing in the life of one child won't change the world, but it will change the world for that kid. And that's an awesome thing. Um, what if in our churches, I've mentioned this before, what if we had a waiting list to serve in the 662 or to serve in Kid City? Well, what, if, what if we were so pumped and had so many people at City Church who cared about the next generation that we made that happen? You can sign up at the Connection Center today say, I want to get involved and serve the next generation. What if every single mom and every single dad had a church supporting them, who came alongside them, who loved them right where they're at, who, who didn't reject them, who didn't judge them, who was there for them in the middle of their situation and said, how can we help? What if every single parent felt that way? What if every lady with an untimely pregnancy had a church that cared about them? We helped her through the roughest season of her life. What if instead of children waiting for a family to love them, what if instead of 1,600 kids without a foster care home right now in the state of Mississippi, what if instead of 100 kids right now in the state of Mississippi waiting to be adopted, what if there was a waiting list of parents who signed up and said, man, when a kid comes available, we'd love to take them. What if the church of Jesus stood up like that and said, we are going to stand up, we're going to be ready, we're going to make ourselves available, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to hurt, because we have the heart of our father, because our father has the, is a father to the fatherless, because he's a defender of widows, because he cares about those who nobody cares about, and we want to be like him. What if? I think it's possible. I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't take that much for the state of Mississippi to have no kids on that waiting list. It wouldn't take that many churches to get fired up, that many Christians to say we can be a part of this, for us to flip that thing up, upside down. Mississippi could be the first state with no kids waiting on the roll. What a statement would that make to the world about, you know, the Bible Belt, right, the South. What, what if we stepped up to actually do something? What would people see if we did it? I believe that it could happen. I believe we could be a part of it. As we close today, I want to tell you one more story about someone who was adopted. This wasn't in my plan today. In fact, Jimmy Fort brought it up this morning as we were talking about our service, and he was just like amazed that it happened this way. But the second song we did today, called The Lion and the Lamb, it's a new song. It's by a group called Leland. Um, Leland is a Christian worship band that's been out for maybe 10 years or so. Uh, but a few years ago, they picked up another guitarist, a, a kid named Casey Moore. 
Casey's from South Haven. Um, and so he started playing with them. And actually, Casey actually married a girl named Alyssa um, from our youth ministry. Grew up here in the 662. And so uh, we got to know Casey a little bit. And he's got an incredible story. Um, Casey was born, uh, and this is not me like broadcasting his info. He wrote a blog about it. It's on the internet. You can go read it. So I, I can, I'm comfortable sharing this information. Um, his mom was a stripper. Didn't know his dad. Um, and so he grew up in this house, and obviously she wasn't stripping because she enjoyed it. She felt like it's what she had to do. Very classic story. And so um, eventually got to the point where she couldn't, wasn't even fit to keep Casey anymore. She couldn't have him. And so Casey actually became adopted. Him and his older brother were adopted. And he says uh, the adoption was the greatest thing that happened to him. His family showed him Jesus, and, and he came to know Christ. And today he's in a worship band. He's writing worship lyrics, touring the country and even the world, bringing people into the presence of God. This kid who, who had such a rough start, who had such, a, such a, a destiny that seemed so unlikely to end up where he's at. Because one family stepped in and loved him. He's at this place. But he said not only did that happen, he said the adoption actually woke his mom up. And, and after that happened, after she lost her kids, she got her life together. And so she's come back to God. God's done this amazing work in her life, and now they have a relationship today. Uh, in fact, a, a pretty healthy relationship with his mom, even though he never went back to live with her. He stayed with the adoptive family. He's got a strong relationship with his biological mom today because somebody loved him enough to adopt him. It's amazing the power of adoption. That's where we want to see happen. Not every family in here is going to do it. Not every family in here is supposed to do it. But all of us can do something. We're going to go this week. We're going to make it a matter of prayer. Amen. We're going to ask God, God, what would you have us do? Let's pray.